Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek, coach at Top Step Training, and I'm here with Marilyn. Hey, Jesse. How's it going? Hi, everybody. Marilyn Chakota. You can find everything with me at mcc.coach. Happy to be here today. Um, good to hear. I am also happy to be here. I'm excited to talk about Kona. Uh, you know, world championship is always exciting. And I feel like everyone was nervous that there wasn't going to be quite as much hype for this because of all the world championships that seems like they've all that's already happened. But uh, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I've seen a lot like a big push for for this world championship. And, um, you know, especially being the first time that it's like female only in Kona, I've seen a big push for for the media on this. And I, I'm I'm pretty excited to, to see how the race unfolds and, and yeah, to chat about it with you. Yeah, you know, it's really cool to see the women get their own spotlight and be in Kona. And I think, you know, seeing the separation, the two different world championship events, obviously, hopefully, but nobody's getting cheering fatigue because this is pretty exciting. It's, you know, <laughs> I think everybody in our sport gets excited about Kona no matter what. And I think everybody's really excited to see the women have their own race. So it's going to change a lot of dynamics, change a lot of things. I've got five females there racing this year. So I'm really excited to see what they think and their feedback is about being there. I've got a few friends there as well. Um, you know, I thought about making the trip, but made the decision to stay home. I think, you know, once your athletes are there and you've done all the homework, it's up to them. It's a self-driven sport. So <laughs> You're mostly just in the way at that point, it's kind of like raising your kids, right? Once you get them, once you get them to that point, you just got to let them go and know that you've done a good job and set them up the best they can to be the best they can be on the day. So, so I stayed home. I cheer from afar. I definitely track and follow closely. And, and I think this is going to be, man, it's going to be an exciting race. There's just so many great, strong women. So really cool. Yeah. So, you know, just to, just to start the day with, well, I guess, first of all, women only. And so I think it's going to really change the the vibe of the race. But like we were talking about earlier, there is like over 2000 women in this race. So it's still going to be a really big race. And like the photos I've seen, seems like it's the expo is big. The, the presence there looks kind of like the same uh, as it always has, which is awesome to see that it looks like, you know, that the, the spectators are, and supporters are all there. And, and yeah, it looks like it's setting up to be a really fun day. Um, but let's start with the pro race, because like you said, it, th this field is kind of crazy and it's, it's interesting to me because as far as like, uh, a, a try rating standpoint, it says it's only like 70% of the typical, typical strength, but I think there's some, some wild cards in there. Some people that like haven't raced super well this year. So they have like a little bit lower score because I think it's, like you said, I think it's actually maybe the strongest women's field ever assembled. Yeah, there's, you know, there's so many that you can't really even name them all. You know, um, Kat Matthews is back. There's Taylor Nib, Daniela Reef, you know, will be interesting to see what she does coming back in a, in a different way. Laura Phillips, obviously, you want to see what Lucy Charles does. And if she can finally get that top step, that's pretty cool. Chelsea, obviously a favorite for most people. Um, you know, there's just so many really great names and that's only just listing a few. I know there, there's like 10 more as well. Some sort of dark horses that I'm cheering for are Sarah True and Haley Churro. I think both of them could do something pretty special. They both got a lot of experience. They've both been racing well. They haven't raced a ton this year. They're both great swimmers. 
Um, you know, they, they, they just have the experience and they've raced at this level a lot. So I think it'll be interesting to see what they do out there as well. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be a different dynamic as well as that typically in the women's race over historically, there's only like a couple of good swimmers or like that superstar swimmer that's way off the front. We all know that's Lucy, but there's a lot of other swimmers that are either going to be right there with her or not very far behind and in a pretty good pack. And I think that that's going to present a different dynamic, not only in the water and, you know, at the start, that first jump, a lot of really great swimmers who are going to know how to get off the line fast. She's probably the quickest at that, but there's going to be quite a few of them that have that ability. And then a lot of them that know how to swim in a pack pretty fast and where that puts them when they hop on their bikes in terms of riding a little bit more in a pack than traditionally in the past. And if Lucy actually has any time up the road and then how far back are some of those, you know, Annie, you know, Annie's going to be in there. There's going to be the, you know, Danielle in there, those strong bikers and those strong runners that are going to be, you know, hoping to not have lost too much ground on the, on the swim and, and be there for the race. So there's some real dynamics that could happen in this race that, we're not used to seeing necessarily in the women's race because there's no amateur men in the mix. There's a really strong women's field. There's women that are going to be much tighter and closer together. And, um, you know, some people with some superpowers on the swim bike and then some real runners in there that are going to be hoping to tactically be just in touch and, and really be able to manage the heat well and, and, you know, be able to run really fast. So I think it's going to be exciting. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really excited. Like there, I think there's five women or sorry, seven women within five minutes of each other for like the expected finish time. And that's like the closest we've ever seen for predictions for, for a women's race, especially that seven women there. I mean, that, that means like by the numbers, like there's seven women that could easily win this race. And like you said, I think there's more that, that can win the race that maybe aren't like rated super well, but it, I think it's going to be a much tighter race where people are kind of like racing each other instead of just trying to get to the finish line the fastest, which is, you know, kind of like what we've seen in the men's race for a lot of years now. But I think this will be like one of the first Kona's where there's so many women in the mix for the win in the mix for the podium that are really kind of mixing up the dynamic and making it uh, like a, a very, very interesting race to watch. Um, and, and as well as being, and I think, yeah, the, the, one of the big things that you're kind of mentioning there is that a lot of these women are amazing Ironman athletes, but maybe haven't had that kind of experience where they're riding in like a pack with a group of women and experience that dynamic. And even like, you know, so where you have those kind of power surges and you're, you're kind of having to be a little bit more tactical about where you sit and being pretty careful um, to not like accidentally slide up too close. So it can be like, it can be really fun, but can also be pretty stressful and maybe a position that, that some of these people have never been in. So it'll, it'll put a, uh, an interesting spin on it. And then also some people that, you know, like, like Elisa Norton, who's been racing like a short course her whole life. And so this is, you know, she's used to this kind of dynamic. And, um, and I know the one person that we haven't really talked about yet is, you know, that what, who is everyone is talking about right now is, is Taylor Nib. And I like, can't remember another athlete in recent history that's gone to Kona from their 70.3 win, like without having raced an Ironman. Uh, I didn't, I didn't research that at all, but I, I that's just kind of like, I, you just don't really see that it happened very often. So that. Uh, did that. 
I think her debut when she was second to Chrissy, I think she had won 70.3 worlds and was coming off her ITU career. And I think Kona was her first. I, I might be wrong on that, but I'm almost, I'm like 99.9% .9 sure that Kona was her first Ironman off of 70.3 worlds in her short course career. So, and I, and she, that year was second to Chrissy. So I think that that's the only time I've seen it. Awesome. Yeah. That's well, I mean, good for her. That's, but yeah, so not a very popular or very like commonly followed path. So it'll be really interesting to watch how, um, you know, her dynamic in the race and, and how everyone kind of plays to that, uh, especially with her swimming bike strength. Um, you know, it, it, in theory, she could be up the road. And then what does that do to the other women? Do they try and ride too hard to stay with her? Or, you know, yeah, it just presents a lot of interesting uh, ways the race can unfold. And, and yeah, like, like you said, like having those groups of swimmers and then having the groups come out, like, I don't think it's going to be ones and twos, like maybe we've seen in the past, there's going to be a group of women that are swimming in the low fifties and then a group of women swimming in the, the mid fifties. And, and so, yeah, they'll have people to work with and that will really, really change the dynamic dynamic of, of the swim and the bike and then how they attack the bike. Uh, how do you think that's going to affect them when they get to the run? Yeah, I think first of all, even saying, you know, it's really hard on that course, even in a pack to get away on that first, you know, 40 to 60 kilometers of that bike. It's fast, whether you're by yourself or you're in a group, especially if you're in a group, if you're in a group, it's hard to get away. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty fast part of the course and everybody's pretty hyped and excited and fresh and, and really, really fit and close in ability as well. So you know, I think the people who know that and have that experience and are really patient and if they find themselves in a group are going to do well, you know, the ones that maybe aren't thinking about that and don't have that kind of experience and patience to know, hey, you know what, like, I'm just going to sit here in this group. I'm in a good group. Um, you know, it's it's fast. It's a lot of effort to break away from that forced 40 to 60 K I think, you know, the ones that are able to climb, most of the women are going to be able to climb really well. I, I foresee that the, the ones that are technically very strong at descending down from heavy and have been patient in the beginning and then have the ability once they turn back onto the queen K it's a, you know, that stretch from when you turn back onto the queen K all the way back to the airport it's a really long stretch with a lot of climbing. And so it's later in the race. And that's where we've seen a lot of the Uber bikers kind of come to the front, right? Whether it has been the men's race or the women's race. And I think that's going to be pretty different. So I think the ones that are patient early on and then are have, you know, some really technically good descending skills and then are have a ton of strength to be able to race really hard and that whole stretch from the turn back onto the queen K all the way home. I think that's when we're going to start to see the real players come out on the bike and, you know, things get broken up and some dynamics change and, and possibly that will be the section that it could affect people's run, right? If they overheat or they make some poor decisions early on, uh, if they've gone too hard to start with, you know, the heat's always a factor there and being able to absorb nutrition when you're going that hard. If you've ridden too hard and played too much in the dynamics and we don't have a good stomach and we've gotten a little bit too hot in the back half of that ride, then that's going to really affect people's runs. So 
will those cyclists be trying to create that kind of scenario for the runners or, you know, are the runners going to take the risk to be there in, in the, in the game with them and be able to, you know, stay on top of their nutrition, stay cool and be able to actually be there for their run. I think it could change the run, right? I think that that's going to, I think that's going to be the interesting part about these new dynamics is how much of that is played to people's strengths and then how much people have experience and then they're able to execute their race and stay within themselves to make sure that they're strong in that back half. And ultimately Hawaii comes down to a lot of experience and patience and being able to process your calories and stay cool and be able to stay really strong throughout the, throughout the race. Right. I mean, it really, really comes to life on how you were able to, look after yourself all day appropriately within your strengths when you're down in that energy lab on the run, you know, you get down in that energy lab on the run, there is nobody out there. You know, they don't let the press down there. They don't let any spectators down there. You've been racing all day. It's hot. You got to climb back out of that energy lab. And if you've made any mistakes all day long, that's where it's really going to start to unfold. So yeah, I think it's going to change the run. You know, it'll be interesting to see, if the new dynamic, how the runners are tactically going to play that and, you know, where they're able to shine for that. And if the cyclist, if that's, you know, if them having to push the pace or anything like that, sort of, if they take it one notch too far, if it affects their run. So yeah, it could be, could be pretty exciting there. Yeah. I think, especially if, you know, the front or the back half of that ride gets a little more surgy where, you know, once you go a little bit too hard and you get hot because of that, or your heart rate gets up, it can be challenging to kind of come back down from that. And I think that's where you kind of run into trouble with that, uh, ingesting calories. You know, if you're riding steady power, it's much easier to just kind of like stay steady and maintain that. Um, but yeah, if there is that group dynamic gets a bit surgy, people are trying to, you know, stay in the right spot and then they're maybe pushing above what they're, uh, kind of been, been trained to do or planned to do, then, I think that really does play into that, like um, that overall fatigue and that kind of like unable to, to process calories and, and yeah, that will obviously come back to haunt them at the end. Um, and the end of the day, Kona is just, you know, it's hot, it's just hot and it's a hard course. It's, I think that's a part that's overlooked even when we're talking about all these race dynamics too, is Kona in itself is just, it's a tough course. And so you get a bunch of really, really fast athletes together and, you know, they've got to play their cards right. But at the end of the day, it's also about managing yourself really well on such a hard course. I mean, the wind and the heat and the course itself has a lot of elevation, you know, the swim is tough and then there's a fair amount of elevation on the bike and, and the run's not dead flat either, you know? So that's, that's, you know, there's, there's a lot to manage there for, for everybody. Yeah. And I think that, the thing too is that everyone is going so fast now. So it's like, you have to be patient. You have to take care of yourself. But at the same time, you know, the, the winning females are probably going to be in like in the eight thirties. So you've got to be ready to go really fast, really hard all day. And, and that like, that margin for error gets smaller and smaller when you're trying to go super fast. So uh, I think, I mean, I think we're going to have some explosions, which no one wants to see, but I, I think there is going to be a lot of lead changes later in the race because of all the women being so close, the dynamics, and then everyone like just, you're going to need to push the pace if you're going to try and win. 
and with so many girls there that have the potential to win, that's when, I mean, that's when we've seen the big fireworks in the men's race, when there's, you know, that group of 10 guys that could all potentially win, then people like you, you know, you have to dig deeper than you planned to, to try to make that happen. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be a really fun race. And I mean, there, there's just so much talent on that start line. I know it, like everyone's been working really hard and it seems like there's been a little bit of lull in racing. So hopefully everyone's like um, fresh and fit and like healthy and ready to go. Cause that'll just make it more fun for uh, for everyone to watch and, and be a part of. Totally. You know, with the, with the amateur field, it'll be interesting to see. I know with the women that I have there, there's a little, it could change the dynamics in that there aren't any amateur men out there. And so we know that there are some women that it, they get themselves in a position of the race where they're able to feed off some of the men. And so I know that, you know, last year when they had their own day, the feedback was, man, it was really great to just have women out there. Like it was a completely different dynamic altogether. And so I think we're going to see even more of that. The numbers are are higher, right? There's more women mm-hmm. out there this year. And I think we're going to see even more of, you know, how is this going to affect the amateur field and, you know, how they're going to find the dynamics being different and what they're able to, you know, push out of themselves and, you know, the, you know, how they tactically themselves and their strategies going to the race is going to be a little bit different than what they normally do in other races, because this is the only race where they get a chance to be out there with all the women that they just normally, you know, that's their competition. There's no one else mixing it in, no one else uh, disrupting their race. There's no one else, you know, that they're either, you know, struggling to work with or having to, you know, worry about or the dynamic of the racing or anything like that. So I think it's not only going to change it for the pros, but it's definitely going to change it for the amateurs as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I you know that I definitely feel like there's that group, uh, you know, the group of men that kind of gets mixed up in the women's race and, you know, it's, it's, I, I've been there where it's frustrating when you're like, you know, getting passed by a female cyclist and it's like, well, what do you do? Cause like, you know, say the next downhill, if you're a bigger athlete, you might have to go around them and then they have to go around you again. And you get caught in this kind of weird cat and mouse game. That's like just kind of playing to maybe the strengths. And this can happen in any situation, but it does seem like it gets a little bit more animated when it's like a male rider and a female rider. So getting, getting that kind of out of the way and having only you know, like people that they're actually like racing against there was, I mean, it's how racing should be, right. They shouldn't have to have any outside factors in the way so yeah it'll be really exciting to see but it definitely will change the dynamic um so i guess you know for people that are getting ready to race and or like your athletes that are getting ready to race what um starting with the swim what kind of what kind of things are you kind of what kind of advice are you giving them to help execute a a good day there yeah i like you know real real top tips for kona things like you know basic things that you might not think of as you it's easy to get carried away on the on the fancy stuff that we're talking about but like let's bring it right back down to some of the basic stuff that can make or break your day one thing to keep in mind when you're in Kona is that water is really salty and making sure that you have lots of lube in the right places you know your neck your armpits your under bits all those kinds of things because the chafing all day long from that really salty water can really i can make your day either great or really miserable and making sure that the the lube that you use is something that breathes because it is hot 
in Kona, right? So if you're covered in some kind of lube or sunscreen that doesn't allow your pores to breathe at all, you have the potential to really overheat in Kona. So using sunscreen that allows you to breathe, using lube for the the amount of salty water that allows you to breathe, but, you know, prevents any kind of major chafing. So those, like these little details, they can make a difference, right? Understanding that at the swim, if you're in Kona, it means you're fast. And in most races, you're probably used to swimming with small packs or alone, but now you're in Kona and at the world championships and everybody's fast. So just understanding that the start's likely to be faster than what your normal is and it's likely to be more congested and crowded. People are excited. People are from all different cultures. So they, they might be more aggressive than what you're used to or have a different way they go about things. We've talked about the differences between North America and Europe and those kinds of things. Now you throw in some Aussies and some Kiwis and some you know South Americans and you've got your Euros and Americans all in one pack and you're all fast and you're all excited and you're all really fit. So it could be aggressive, it could be fast. So really regulating the swim for what's best for you and just being mentally prepared for that is, you know, those are sort of my top three tips for the swim and knowing that that swim can be, you know, it can be tough if you've overdone the first half and you don't have a lot of gas on the back half. I think you want to regulate yourself and be aware of all that stuff on that first part of the swim, get yourself with a nice group, settle in, stay calm, stay strong. And if you can really swim strong as an amateur athlete, all the way across that back half and right to the finish, that's going to set your day up well, because we're not going to win a race in the swim in the amateur field, but we're not, but we can lose a race in the swim if we, if we really get those little parts wrong. So, you know, look after the chafing, make sure you're not setting yourself to overheat later in the day with the products that you use. Be conscious of your own effort on the start and be prepared for it, the dynamic to be different mentally and regulate yourself properly to, to execute the back half strong. So that's my top tips for the swim. Yeah. And like, you know, you said, you know, you can lose the race in the swim, but it's not by going slow, right? You can lose the race in the swim by kind of effing yourself, especially in the beginning. And it's so easy in Kona because it is like the atmosphere, like those drummers out there everyone's super excited it's the the environment is awesome like they really hype you up and it's very easy to get really excited there which is great but like you said you've got to like regulate and make sure you're staying in control for you because you know it's warm water and it's warm salty water and if you get hot in the first 15 minutes of your day it it is i know i was just talking earlier about how it's fast but it's still a really long day and so yeah taking care of yourself in the beginning of the race is how you set yourself up for a successful day. And, and so, yeah, I think trying to be really cognizant of that where, you know, like, like anything, like it's probably better to swim a little bit slower, come out of the water a minute later and feel controlled than gain that extra minute because that extra minute at the end of a nine hour day, 10 hour day, 12 hour day, isn't going to make or break, but yeah, being hot and gassed in the first 20 minutes and then being like, Oh, well, here we go. Nine more hours buckle up. It's, it's, I mean, I've done it. It's not a good feeling. Um, so yeah, you definitely want, want to be a pretty careful there. And, and yeah, even like, you know, heading into T1, they always have the, um, just the, the fresh water showers and, you know, it's, I think it's always worth it to take an extra second or two, if, especially if you know, you have kind of like hot spots with your suit or with your, 
uh, swim skin or whatever you um, to make sure you get some fresh water on there, get some fresh water in your mouth, and 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 yeah, like t- use that as like some time to take care of yourself before you get on the bike. Um, you know, the is, funniest thing I've ever seen is someone I saw two people who were in such a rush to get through T1 in Hawaii that they forgot to take their swim skin off oh on the Queen K and they realized like, I'm still in my swim skin. You know how hot those things are, <laughs> right? And had to pull over and stop. So, you know, hurry, hurry mindfully through T1. <laughs> <laughs> hurry, but hurry mindfully. Make sure you take care of everything. Get everything you need. Take off your swim skin. Put your helmet on the right way. No backwards helmets. Those make for funny photos. <laughs> I've seen that too. Yeah, I mean, I think even if you just go back to the men's race where it took Sam Laidlow an extra, whatever, 30 seconds to minute in transition, Cause he wanted to put on his aero socks and, you know, if you have to zip up your suit, get your sleeves kind of like in order. Um, I've been that guy where I've run through transition and like barely had my suit up and I'm starting, I'm trying to ride. And it's like, my armpit is like at my elbow on my, on my race kit. And I'm trying to like pull it up while I'm riding. And, you know, I, I lost way more time messing around while I was riding than if I just taken an extra 20 seconds and stood there at my bike and got everything situated so, you know, especially, yeah, when, you know, I think everyone says, oh, it's a world championship. I need to like up my game and do everything a little bit more. But I feel like, you know, kind of like, yeah, one of the overarching themes here is going to be like, do what you've practiced, do what you've like, what you've planned on doing and don't, that now is not the time to like over push the bar, especially in the beginning. Um, but, but yeah, so you don't need to do anything crazy. You don't need to do like some, you know, you don't need to like, absolutely sprint through transition and like forget things in order to have a good race there. Yeah. You said something that is a piece of advice I wanted to give to, to all of our listeners. And I say to people is remember just because you're at the world championships doesn't mean that suddenly you're that different of an athlete than you were (laughs) of all the training that you've done. So yes, you're racing and that's exciting. And you're in the best shape of your life. Hopefully when you show up here, And you're going to push the limits a little bit more, obviously, because you're, you know, you're at the world championships and that's the time to do it. However, you're, you want to remember that you are on that day, what you've been doing for the last six months and especially the last three months. So when you're out there and you are pushing yourself and you've got all day to make decisions based on the heat and the wind and the dynamics and how you feel, stay closely connected to what you've seen in training and what you've done in training and make sure that you, you know, put your blinders on a little bit and just go like, Hey, is this the best decision for me right now? Am I looking after myself? Am I staying closely connected to the training that I've done and making good decisions for myself as things come up, you know, Am I getting too hot? Do I need to get some, an extra water bottle at the aid station to dump on the back of my neck and on my legs? Do I, you know, am I paying attention to my hydration? So you're not completely caught up in the fact that things are moving fast and that you're at an important race and, you know, you feel amazing in that first half of the bike and, and really fast. And if you think, man, I'm going, you know, 50 Watts higher and so much faster than I ever have in any training session in the last six months, that might be an indicator that you're overdoing it a little bit, right? We don't, if you think this is fine, I'm suddenly this much faster on this race day, let's pull it back and remember, Hey, 
stay closely connected to what you've done because we still have a marathon ahead and we and we have the back half of the ride and that's going to set you up for your fastest possible day across the whole thing. We're not just making a decision in that moment. It isn't connected to what you've been doing in training. Um, yeah, I think that's very sound advice. And, and I think that like specific bike advice would go straight to that, right? Where like you need to do what you planned on doing you need to be careful not to get caught up in the dynamics of the race. Most of all, you need to make sure you're doing a really good job taking care of yourself and sticking to the nutrition plan that you've had laid out. That's, you know, that is what gets you to a fast marathon, right? Yeah. And, you know, be able to troubleshoot while you're out there. The big thing about hard races and especially hot races is having that ability to, and you know, take, feel what's going on with your body and understand what's happening in your race and be able to troubleshoot if necessary, right? And so if your nutrition is, you, it's well-practiced, it's what you've been using, you know, you're sticking close to your plan, but things start to go south for whatever reason, maybe it's a little bit more humid than what you're used to, or your body's just reacting differently on the day for whatever reason, you know, dial into your common sense, dial into your millions of miles of training, years and hours, and be able to troubleshoot sensibly on the day. And that's the big thing about hard races, especially hot races. If people can just pause and troubleshoot in any moment, then they're going to stay strong right to the finish. So when you ignore those things and keep pressing, then then that's usually when we get to that catastrophic, you know, where we're like, oh, I'm having to sit on the side of the road or I was broken down to way below what my ability or my preparation was and it just didn't pan out. If you can just, if you are listening to your body the whole time, you know, you understand what's happening. You make good decisions all day. I call them good game day decisions on tough courses. Then likely you're going to be able to, you're fit enough that you're going to be able to stay strong all the way to the finish. Yeah. I like, I like to kind of run through the heavy hitters and I've seen people get hung up on, on some maybe really small things that they think might be the problem. But I feel like, you know, the, the problem is usually like effort, sugar, water, salt. Like that's, it's usually one of those things, right? Effort can kind of, you kind of put that with like heat. Like if you're getting too hot cause you're going too hard. Um, but you know, the, the controllables are like your effort and then what you can fuel with like sugar, water, salt. And that's, that's kind of like the, the main things. And, you know, you don't want to get like wrapped up into all these other things that like, you know, like, Oh, the rubber band on your shoe is like flapping in the wind and that's causing some weird thing to happen. Well, it, it's probably like annoying you because of, uh, you know, sugar, water, or salt. And, and so that's, that's where you, that's where I try and have everyone focus on, on that, like those controllables. Um, and especially like not focusing on anything that's already happened in the race, right? Like focusing on what you can do now, what you can troubleshoot in the moment to help get to the finish line the fastest. Uh, and that's, it's easy to get caught up in those little things, but, uh, but yeah, again, sugar, water, salt, think about that. Yeah, that's really good. Someone should just write that down on their top two. Right? <laughs> You know, also in Kona for the amount of racers that are going to be on the course, obviously it's still a high number. We haven't talked at all about the drafting zones. I imagine the marshals are going to be out there full force. And I think it's really obvious in Kona. It's, it's two reflectors, right? If you have a little measuring and you're unsure it, take a look at the, if you're on the course, it's basically two reflectors and that will 
give you a good sense of judgment as far as how far you need to be spread apart. So if you're questioning that at all, and it's a crowded course, and you're not sure early in the race when it could be, you're there are going to be a lot more people around you than what you're used to. Just like we talked about in the swim, you know, maybe you're used to having a lot of open road because you're one of the fastest racers on normal courses, but now you're around all your competition that is all also fast. So you have a lot more riders around you than you're used to pay attention to those two reflectors. And that can be a good gauge for you as far as keeping a good, healthy legal distance and not getting yourself in any danger with a penalty or anything like that. Yeah, that is, that is awesome advice. And like, if, if you do like get a penalty, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people that just, again, like had let that fester and, you know, accidents happen. Like you're, you're riding and not pay attention. You ride up too close to someone, you get a penalty. Well, okay. Like now ride the rest of the time legal and then serve your penalty and continue racing. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you need to, again, stew about it and pull over on the side of the road and just like give up. It's like, okay, like, yeah, you made, you made a mistake, um, correct it, move on and try and finish your day the best you can. Eh? Yeah, totally. One thing also, the last probably little um, pro tip I'll give as far as that course goes, we talked about already with the, and when we're talking about the professionals is how it can be pretty quiet out there once you're on the Queen K and down in the energy lab coming out of there. There's a lot of um, personal reflection time available <laughs> down there. There's, you know, nobody out there. It's really late in the day. It's a hard part of the course. You come out of the energy lab. When you do come back onto the Queen K, that's the whole point part of the course where you really want to have a good solid mental plan on how you're going to stay mentally tough and stay committed to why you're there in the first place. And once you're back up on that queen K pay attention to there's a little bit of a camber in the road and that late in the day when you've been running on hard pavement all day and your legs and your hips and your feet and your knees and everything are really hurting that tiny little camber all the way back on the queen K can really mess with you a little bit. So not only do you need to be tough at that point in the, in the um, race on the run, but you also need to be very aware of your surroundings. And the, the one thing that could you know, when your body's hurting that much and you're still trying to run fast and keep pressing forward is that camber in the road can feel like, I know you've all been training out there and you're like thinking what camber, but in that point <laughs> in the run, when it's, you've been running on pavement for a long time, it becomes something you really notice. So pay attention to your surroundings and look for the flattest part of the road, fastest line and fat, flattest part of the road that allows your body to stay put together as best as possible when you're going to have to be strong and mentally tough all the way back into town. Once you're in town, I mean, the crowds are going to be there and the cheering and you're almost home. So you should be able to, that's going to, you know, elevate your mood and your motivation at the end there. But that stretch from when you turn out of the energy lab up to the queen K and then back there, there's just going to need to be a lot of, um, you know, true connection to your, to your why, I guess, and your mental toughness, as well as paying attention to your surroundings and what's going to make you have the best opportunity to keep pushing forward and stay strong and, and, you know, look for those little, those little, you know, free rides, I guess you could say, don't make it harder on yourself than it needs to be. It's already pretty hard out there. <laughs> um, yeah. I spent my run this morning bouncing around from one side of the road to the other to try and find the least cambered spot because all the roads are super cambered around here. And, and yeah, I mean, maybe it's my, my old hips, but 
I, I struggle to, to run for too long if it's cambered, you know, especially in one direction. So I, I know that feeling and that can, that could definitely add up towards the end of the race. Um, and the other thing, like we talked about in the swim is that it is really easy to overcook the first part of that run. You know, especially like, again, you're with fast people. So you're getting off the bike and there's like a group of women around and everyone is, is cheering that first stretch. And yeah, it's easy to get caught up in racing your competitors, listening to the crowd and kind of overshoot that target. Like, Oh, today I'm a two thirty five marathoner. It's happening right now. I, I, and, and yeah, that'll, that will come back to bite you in your self-reflection time. You will re- reflect on that decision and probably consider it to be a bad one. So I would definitely yeah. stick to the numbers in the beginning. And if anything, go out a little bit conservative, save that effort for that back half when it gets hard. Totally. And you know what, if you, if you do come out kind of hot and you make that mistake by accident and you're like, whoops, I, you know, I'm overheating. I went out way too fast. Uh, my body's not absorbing the nutrition. You know, if that happens to you, don't be afraid to stop at an aid station, put as much ice and water and cool your core temperature down. Just stop for 30 seconds, even a minute, get some fluids in you, then start to walk away, get some nutrition in you, and mostly just really get that core temperature down and then start back slowly. And I bet you can salvage your race really well. If you ignore those warning signs and keep pushing, like we talked about earlier, there's a chance that you're going to end up, you know, falling apart more and more and maybe spend a whole lot of time walking out there. And like we've always said with Ironmans, the slowest thing you can do all day is walk. So you're basically setting up your whole day to be able to run as much of the marathon as possible. So if that happens, you know, do a little reset. It's okay to stop at an aid station, cool the core temperature down, you know, ice, water, start to walk away, get some nutrition in, and then slowly start back. And I bet you get right back on your plan and your pace. So, you know, if you notice those things happen now, first of all, we hope that we're really, really patient. You stick to your plan and you're able to, you know, run strong straight from right, right from the start, right to the finish. However, that troubleshooting we talked about that happens to you just, you know, stop, cool down, refuel, reset, and start again. And you'll, you're all fit enough when you're there that you can, you can do that and keep going. Yeah. I know a lot of athletes have like a healthy fear of like stopping, but it is amazing. Like what 30 seconds of standing still can, can do for the rest of your race. And so it's not like, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength to be able to say, Hey, I'm troubleshooting and this is what I need to do in this moment. And it's going to make me faster the rest of the time. Um, you know, I've been caught up in this and I've seen a lot of other athletes where they're just trying to like run through the aid station and not willing to stop to do what they need to do. And yeah, it can, it can literally save your race. And, you know, I'm sure everyone has stopped in a run and then been able to kept running because there's that other fear, right? Like you're not gonna be able to start running again, but you know, if you run in a town that has lights, you've probably stopped in your run and been able to get running again. So I think that is, it is good to just, you know, try and be, really smart, really self-aware and, and think about the big picture and 30 seconds of stop time. If your core temperature drops a little bit, will, will be worth many, many minutes at the end of the end of the race. So I think that's, that's very good advice. Yeah, um, And you know what, you're at the world championships. So remember to have fun out there, right? It's a pretty special day. It's a, uh, it's really cool. It's a, uh, an that race has so much history and, you know, it being women only for the first time, I think everyone that's there celebrate that 
you know, you're part of something special. You're going to be part of history because this is always going to be the the first time Kona was a women's only race. So be proud of that. Be part. Of, be proud that you're part of, you know, a little piece of history in triathlon. Uh, enjoy the day. You've earned the right to be there. So no matter how it goes, you put in the work and you've earned the right to be on that course. So remember all that stuff. Have fun with it. Enjoy it and have a great day out there. And, you know, I think all of us, you know, there's so much information out there getting flooded at everyone like a fire hydrant these weeks, these world championship weeks, but know that that comes from excitement and support. So we will be over here cheering and supporting as well. Yeah. You stole my last bullet out from under me. So awesome job. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Enjoy the day, have fun out there and like, have, you know, cheer on your fellow competitors and help them celebrate the day. And, and yeah, like it, you're there for fun, right? So it's always fun to go fast, but but really do enjoy it. Um, we promise we keep this episode a little shorter. So I, I enjoyed talking about Kona with you. I'm pumped for the race. It sounds like you are as well. So that's great to hear. Well, thanks so much, Jesse. Good luck to everyone out there. Thank you.